Very good afternoon, it's Penuel the Black Pen. I haven't read the articles as yet, but earlier today we found out that Ricky Rick Makado had taken his life and he's passed away. I'm not making this video as an ode to Ricky Rick, uh, I'm making this video because I want us to speak about mental illness. I found Ricky Rick a bit amusing as a person, you know, <laughs> very skinny guy, uh, looks like, okay, let me not say it looks like me, but a couple of people have told me that he looks like me, I think mostly because of the bushy eyebrows that he has. He looks like Unopendia, something inside. Ricardo, uh, I believe he went to Hilton College, the most expensive school in the country. Came to Joburg, made a lot of friends, a lot of people that have met him, like him very much. He seems like a really, really great person. And even at the height of the beef between AKA and Kaspar Njovest, uh, he seemed to get along with both guys, you know. A lot of the young guys that have come into the industry um, have worked with him uh, in various music videos. Um, I think Frank Casino, um, he was in... Uh, the breakthrough track, not breakthrough track, but the bumping track, yeah, Big Zulu. In said to buy Malenini. Um, there's the white boy from Pumalanga who dances. Ah, why have I forgotten this boy's name? Uh, uh, Costa Teach, sorry, and a whole lot of other guys. He seems to have put guys on. He obviously hosted Cotton Fest, which was pretty big. Um, and he looked like he was doing really well. Got a big deal with Russian Bay at some point. And he had some bangers, you know. Boss Zonke, uh, I used to like a track called Nafukwa, Nafukwa. And I think he was involved with the guys, the Poison Bucks. Poison Bucks, I okay, Malum Kulket, you know, he seemed like a cool chap. Um, loved his partner very much from the posts we'd seen on social media. Uh, it looked like they'd been through the ups and downs together. And Ricardo had a young child. I'm not sure how old his child is now. So to hear that a guy like that had hung himself, I can only imagine it was a shock to so many people. You know, no one could have predicted that he wasn't okay, if he wasn't okay. Um, and we're left with a lot of questions. I'm hoping we're going to get answers as the days go by. The reason I hope that is because I'm hoping that we can learn something from what's happened. Um, there's a quote that says we are a sad generation with happy pictures. Some of your favorite celebrities look so happy on social media, but they're going through the most. We heard recently that Umini Zamin, you know, Quentin Jones got divorced. Everyone was shocked. Like, what? How? Which means we don't know. And obviously, if we're taking our cues from social media, we believe that everyone is doing well. Everyone is perfect. You know. A guy who obviously lives his life transparently is Kanye West. Because Kanye, the good stuff we see on social media, the crazy stuff we see on social media, his mental illness, his wins, his losses, his divorce, his fights for his kids, so... Other people tend to only be 
as Amanda Dupont calls it, on brand. You have to look good. You have to sound right. Let me not cry on social media because this is so not on brand. I've been... I've self-diagnosed myself as depressed three times in my life. The first time being 2006. The second time being 2012. And then the most recent time being 2016. Self-diagnosed because I... I looked at how I was feeling and how I was behaving and I, I looked it up and I was like, I've been miserable, deeply, deeply miserable for longer than three to seven days. I used to cry myself to sleep. I had no appetite. I had irregular sleeping patterns. Either I slept too much or I, um, either I slept too much or I uh, couldn't sleep. Um, and I just wasn't myself. Miserable, miserable. Um, 2006, but also 2009, sorry. The 2006 and 2009 are to be combined because the reason for my mental crash in 2006 and 2009 was losing the love of my life. The love of my life at the time, my university sweetheart. In 2006, I was dating two, girl, two girls simultaneously. It was her and another lady who has sadly now passed on from a car accident. And at some point, like, trying to juggle both girls as, like, this Mr. Two-Woman guy, it, it, it knocked me in the fucking face and I crashed. And they got upset and, you know, and they hit me physically and it just all fell apart. All three of us ended up going to therapy at Rhodes, uh, individually in our own capacities to try and get better um as time went on i ended up no longer being with the other lady and i focused on my university sweetheart so things were fine 2009 2009 yeah when i'd finished my honors at uj she was meant to come up to Joburg from Grahamstown, and she was like she wants to go to cape town and um she felt she'd lost herself and i tried to fight for her and i lost yeah 2012, again, a woman, heavy breakup, couldn't stand losing her, and my mind crashed again. Um, she'd held on to me for a while, because while I was with her, I'd gotten a lady pregnant, and she'd held on to our relationship. And I'd only come to learn this later, that a woman doesn't... When a woman says she wants to break up, it's not because she wants to break up with you then, it's because she's actually left you years ago. Maybe on average, like two years ago. And it takes maybe two years for her to finally be ready to leave you. Whether she's found someone else or she's just mentally strong enough to leave. And these women I'd come to learn obviously would leave me because what happens in relationships is there's good times and bad times. Obviously in the beginning, in the honeymoon phase, the good times are great. There's almost no bad times. Then there's fluctuations throughout the relationship. And then there comes a time where sometimes the bad is more than the good. And I think for normal people, once the bad outweighs the good for a prolonged period, you no longer want to be in there. Whether it's money or love, cheating, drugs, alcohol abuse, whatever. My third depression, bout of depression in 2016 was caused by two things. Losing the woman who I was deeply in love with at the time. Toxic, toxic, horrible, horrible breakup where for the first time in my life, I contemplated suicide. 
And at the same time, my business had crashed. I owed people a lot of money. A lot of them I still owe today because I haven't raised the funds to pay them out. Um, the things they were saying to me, crying, calling me names, calling me a scam artist, while at the same time I'm losing this person I love so much, my mind just caved, you know. I have to highlight contemplating suicide. Not that I wanted to. I thought about it for the first time. Before I'd been depressed, but I'd never thought suicide. In 2016, what happened is when me and this lady were going through this process of breaking up, I went and I called the other two ladies that I'd broken up with or that had left me before. And I asked them if they're okay. And the first lady from Varsity was like, she's much stronger now, but she feels like she'll never be the cheerful, happy person that she used to be. And her friends have told her that she's become cold ever since I was in her life. She told me that she'd undergone therapy and she was still going through therapy, um, that she'd taken antidepressants, but now she was off them. Um, and I was like, I hope you'll be fine. And she sounded angry on the phone. She was like, you've probably not changed and I'm sure you're hurting girls wherever you are. And that hurt me. This was 2016 and if She'd left me 2009. This is seven years of anger and pain. The lady that broke my heart in 2012, I called her and she told me she was still undergoing therapy and taking antidepressants because of our breakup. And I started thinking to myself, maybe I'm a monster and I don't know it. I don't hit these women. I don't financially abuse them. I don't generally date women who need me for money. I'd like to think they're free, they've got great families, they've got careers that are moving forward. But I was like, maybe I'm not aware of a psychological damage that I cause in cheating, lying, making them feel not as great. And I was like, my father was abusive towards my mom and for a long time he was in denial. And maybe I was becoming my father and I was not aware. And I was like, you know, if my father had not been in my life, I would have craved him, of course. But maybe my life would have been better. My mom would have had money. We would have been better off. My mom wouldn't have lived in fear and felt caged. And I was like, maybe if I removed myself from this earth, maybe other women in future would not be hurt by me. I won't cause any more pain. And as much as my kids love me and I'm a great father, they won't realize that maybe it will have been for the best in future. It will have been like, you guys don't know what monster is actually coming. How did Adolf Hitler know when he was 15 that he might cause extreme harm to other people? And if someone had taken him out earlier, maybe that wouldn't have happened. So for the first time, I thought about the idea of what if I killed myself? I know I'd never hang myself because... A concept of hanging is extremely brutal. Going to a shop, buying a rope, putting it around your neck, being, <coughs> being strangled, and feeling yourself in pain, dying. It, it requires cowardice, because you're exiting this life, which means you've kind of failed at the life game. And it requires extreme bravery, because it's, it's heavy, man, to want to hang yourself and get on a chair or a platform and... and and jump off and, and be strangled brutally. 
I don't even know if people that hang themselves, maybe they bleed through the eyes or they shit on themselves, pee on themselves, struggling with foaming in the mouth. Versus things like taking poison, overdosing on pills, you know, euthanasia is not allowed in this country, which I think is very sad, especially for cancer patients and other patients who for years experienced extreme excru excruciating pain and wanted to stop. But the Lord doesn't allow them to choose to end their lives. And suicide, obviously, it's too much for self. With, with euthanasia, it's assisted suicide, essentially. So I thought about it, and I'd never hang myself. But I was like, look, I could overdose, I could poison myself. But I was like, nah, I'm fucking arrogant. I love myself. I think I'm decent looking. I shit cold. <laughs> I've got beautiful, stunning kids, and my life is still going to be fucking great. So it was just an idea. The idea of what would happen if I removed myself from this planet. That was scary for me. Even the idea of thinking about it. You know, because what happens if I'm depressed again and I don't just think about it, but I attempt it? You know. We've been speaking for many years about mental health. We've lost WHP to suicide. Ricky Rick now. There's rumors that Pro Kid may have taken his life. We've heard of other celebrities, Kid Cudi, Kanye West, who have battled depression, gone to rehab. Rich people take their life. You know, people from well-off families get depressed. So, what the fuck? The fuck, man? Like, depression and suicide is for poor people. <laughs> you're good-looking, you're rich, you're famous. Why the fuck would you take your life? But it speaks to our lack of understanding. So, this was me speaking about my depression. And through my journey, I've documented it as I document a lot of my things. I made videos, I posted them, and a lot of people reached out to me. Other people that were grappling depression reached out to me and wanted to speak about it and their experiences. And I realized depression is different for people. Speaking to my mom, who feels she's been depressed for bulk of her married life. Because my father was physically abusive and he was financially abusive taking her money. Um, my mom now has this thing where other women who want to leave their husbands because he's cheating. Because he's made another child elsewhere. My mom laughs at them. She's like, Psh, this woman's weak. I mean, all men cheat. And so what if you got a woman pregnant? And I've had to explain to her that what has caused you stress and depression is, is, may not be the same as what causes someone else stress and depression. A child who moves from a 50% pass mark to a fail gets depressed. Maybe you've lost 20%. Of your marks. A child that moves from 90% to 70%, which is the same 20%, might go through the exact same depression. And the child who's getting 50% is like, fuck, dog, you got 70. And it's like, yeah, but I'm a 90. So we have driven triggers for depression. Different people that I've counseled have managed to pull themselves out through various ways. And unfortunately, some of the other people I've spoken to, I wasn't counseling these guys, unfortunately, but two of the guys I've spoken to actually took their lives. The one that stands out is a guy that was grappling with parental alienation. His baby mama was keeping his child from him and it was killing him inside. 
And simultaneously, his business was crashing and he owed money to investors. Two investors owed a very small amount, maybe like 200,000. And it got to him and it broke him and he took his life. What? So some of the triggers of depression and some of the ways you can pull yourself out. Some of the triggers are money. You know, there's a tweet I think I've seen where a person was saying, look, I'm a qualified therapist and I'd like to say most people are not depressed. They're actually broke. <laughs> so for a lot of people, money is a huge trigger. You're about to get evicted from your flat. Your house is about to get repossessed. Your car's just been repossessed. Your woman's about to leave you because you don't have money. Your children are about to downgrade from private school to public school. You're about to move back to the township and the shame that comes with that. People are about to find out that you were living a fake life. So for a lot of people, money is the trigger in various ways. And when they get a phone call, those 087, I think, numbers, they get anxiety and their hearts start beating fast because they know on the other end of the phone is, hello, is this Mr. Mlochwa? Hi, sorry, this is Pamela from FNB. I'm calling about your credit card. I'm calling about your personal loan. I'm calling about your car loan that you owe. And people just panic. Having worked in banking on the collection side, I used to try and advise people, guys, speak to the bank. These are not animals on the other side. And make an arrangement. Your car doesn't need to be repossessed. Embarrassingly in front of you, in front of your friends somewhere. Call them, I'm struggling, see what plan can be made. Pay a little bit per month. You know, ask them if maybe they can take the car back and, and work it out. But obviously lack of financial literacy and because the banks and these guys are not as forthcoming with information, people don't take this advice. They, instead, it's the debt counselors that shove themselves down people's throats. Debt counselors consolidate all your debt. They come up with one interest rate. They get paid, but then on the credit bureau, you get like a, a red mark. So you can't take out credit elsewhere. Debt counseling is not the greatest thing. And maybe I'll talk about it another day when talking about finances then there's love 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 i believe that love is a mental illness when i look at what people have done in the name of love the behavior and the psychology is very similar to when you're on drugs when you binge on booze to a crazy person people Kill in the name of love. They steal money. Um, they abuse their partners. They, they kill babies. They, they lie and they abort. And like, you see people that were in love, once they get out, especially after they get divorced, they're like, what the fuck was I thinking taking out a 500,000 rand loan for this guy? What, what was I thinking moving far away from my family that loves me to be with this girl? Um, why would I agree to a threesome? Fuck. Was I mad? Like, love seems to... So, what happens when you're angry is you don't breathe normally. And you don't get enough oxygen going to the brain. That's why, like, you get hot and you start feeling like you're suffocating. You get angry and you, you're not breathing. And that's why it's suggested when you're angry... Take a deep breath, count to 10 and exhale. Because when you get that oxygen, it calms you down. What seems to happen with love is that like the brain stops working. All because of this psychological thing. Oh, I love this person so much, babe. I need money. Whatever you want, my love. 
Babe, can you come here? No, it's fine. I'll, I'll steal my mom's car and I'll speed there. Women end up getting into prostitution to raise money. Uh, guys steal money. There are so many weird decisions you make in the name of love and it's not right. And it's only once you snap out of it that you realize what the fuck was I thinking. So I believe love is a mental illness and I believe it's a conditioned mental illness because through soapies, through R&B, through romantic comedies, through romance novels, all of us are told love makes the world go round. There's nothing more powerful in the world than love. Once you find love, you found everything. And I, I think that's bullshit. I think a big, a big reason our relationships and those things crash is because of this love bullshit. Because once the love is gone, it ends. And relationships are not necessarily built on love. They're meant to be built on responsibility. Responsibility and knowing that I have to do. Like, I can hate my child who just crashed my car. But I have a responsibility to feed him and clothe him. And to keep developing him. I'm not saying, mm, I don't think I love my child anymore. So I'm going to stop being a parent. What? Some of the money and the love trigger these other things which trigger depression and suicide, which is drug abuse, alcohol abuse. A lot of kids get into drugs through experimentation, smoke breaks with the kids at school, <laughs> trying to be fucking cool. Yo, what's up, Roger? How you doing? Yo, you know, I just want to like smoke, you know, maybe have a spliff. You guys like succumb to peer pressure and you pick up these weird habits and you end up getting hooked. Your girlfriend is like, Nah, dog, let's try a line of coke, you know, apparently stuff like, makes you think clearly and, you know, you, you know, you're on point. There you are now doing cocaine because you're trying to impress this, oof, this hot chick who's like, are you a fucking sissy? Can you not do a line? Oh, I'll fucking do a line. I mean, what the fuck? Or let me, let me fucking, let me, let me sniff. Drug abuse, alcohol abuse, and then drug and alcohol abuse then... Drains all your money and now we've gone to money again, which now triggers depression, suicide. A couple of other things. You lose your mom, your dad, your loved one. Something happens like your daughter gets brutally gang raped, tortured and killed. <laughs> you have to go and identify the body. Her vagina has been torn open and she's purple and green everywhere. And um, she's cut open and she's swollen and maybe her head has been <laughs> your beautiful angelic daughter that you have such great dreams for and because you're a good man you're like I'll do everything to not be trash and to protect my daughter and here she is and your mind breaks it breaks so I said I'll speak about some of the triggers and then I'll speak about some of the ways to get out before I speak about getting out some of my friends have told me they don't understand depression. They're like, nah, dog, I don't think that guy's depressed. I think it's just, it's just attention-seeking. Sometimes they're right. Because I've been depressed and because I've spoken to people that are depressed, I've come to explain depression to people that don't know it or don't understand it, that have never been exposed to someone with depression. I've explained it as a flu of the mind. Now, when a person is coughing and has a sore throat and a runny nose and they have a fever, <coughs> no, you don't say to them, come on, you're attention-seeking, stop coughing. Tell your nose to stop running. You just 
Ach, you're just being paranoid. You're okay. Suck it up. Because we understand it's flu. We all kind of agree. Same thing happens in a car accident. I'm in a car accident. My knee gets fucked. I'm in a wheelchair. I'm in crutches. And now, now I'm limping. Four years later, I'm limping. No one says, come on, dog. Your accident was four years ago. Just fucking get over it. Why the fuck are you limping? They understand. They're like, look, this guy was in a car accident. That's why he's limping. That's why he's got a scar. But now we can't see the inside of our brain. So what happens when you get a flu of the brain? What happens if you have an accident of the brain? How will you know that someone's behavior is that of someone who's got flu or someone who is limping from an accident? You don't. For some of us, we do see the signs up front. You see, man, this guy used to laugh all the time. Now he doesn't laugh anymore. He's always on edge. He's always shouting. Why is Penal always drunk? Penal used to be against alcohol. Hey, this chick has been sleeping around with everyone, dog, but she used to be like a heavy Christian. You can see the personality behavior change, but I think there might be something here. We can't see it because the person is not bleeding or coughing or scarred, but there might be something happening inside. And just like normal flu, it can graduate to pneumonia, which is serious, and then it can graduate to death. So your mind, when it crashes, can get worse. And you can find yourself doing crazy shit, slitting your wrists, raping people, committing crime, beating people up, stabbing people, because you now graduated to pneumonia. And then you can go to death where you're now killing people or killing yourself. But in the same way flu can graduate, you can also heal it. So some people actually go from like aggressive depression to like milder depression to no depression at all. I'm one of the people that don't believe that once you're depressed, you're depressed for life. I don't agree with that at all. I think you can get out and be okay. So now we're speaking about getting better and I wanted to say there are ways to get out of depression. Before I speak of the ways, today I went to visit uh, a friend now, Guidance, in Dalmas on a uh, a piece of land called Prosperity. We're shooting content there earlier today and hopefully it will come out soon. We spoke about mental illness and he said he doesn't like the term mental illness. Not that he doesn't believe that it's there, but he believes there's a problem with us realizing that life is hard and life is painful, which it is for everyone at various times. And then the way you react to it being called an illness your dad has died. You're very sad. You're not mentally ill. You're not okay. And that's normal. It's a reaction from a pain and a trauma. We need to allow you to process and go through this sadness and pain and grief. And then get out of it. It's a season. One of the things we said when we were discussing this is that you're just going through a season. And what happens through a season like winter, it's cold, is you need to ride it out and get out on the other side. Stay warm, eat your oranges, get vitamin C, make sure that you're not being reckless or spending time with people that are infected with influenza or whatever. The problem, unfortunately, with winter is if you don't take care of yourself, you're not dressed warm, you're hanging around people that are infected with flu or whatever, your winter lasts longer. So you'll be perpetually sick. And for some people, these seasons never end. 
Why are you crying? Why are you on drugs? Why are you miserable? No, my dad died five years ago. Oh, shit. Dog. That means you never managed. You never managed to get out of that season. But he's saying he doesn't like mental illness. And in speaking about seasons, we spoke about language. I believe language is God. Because we live in an objective reality and a fictional reality. The objective reality is the real world. The trees, the mountains, the rivers, the animals, you and I. Fictional reality is what human beings have created with their minds and through language. Religion, gods, um, history, the law, science. It's fictional. It's not really there. Animals don't have these things that we've created with language. And what I was saying is that the way we use language is very powerful. Once you call something an illness, the next logical thought to someone who speaks English is illness means doctor, means medicine. When they decide to call it an illness, it means you now have to go and see a doctor and get medicine. Which is a capitalistic way of dealing with a season. Oh, it's winter. You now need to go to the shop and buy a jacket. No. Why can't I go to warmth? Why can't we migrate closer to the equator where it's warmer and then come back when winter's over? Then we don't need a doctor. No, no, no. You have to go and buy a jacket. You have to buy Corenza C and Med Lemon. You have to buy a gas. Like we have to buy, buy, buy. So with mental illnesses, we have to go and get antidepressants. We have to go and see a psychologist. We have to get therapy. In the African sense, what we realize with the season is that the solution to it is community. I'm not well. My dad just died. I can't cook. Oh, go buy takeaways. No, 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 no. In Africanness, in the African community, the neighbors will cook for you. They will take care of your kids. They will come and do your laundry because we are, we are a people. We are together. And that becomes your way out. They come and they laugh with you. They share with you. They, they, they cry with you. Oh, I remember when your mom used to cook us these meals and we cried together. I, I miss her so much. And you gain healing through that season without medication. But you don't call it an illness. You don't call it an illness. So when you're going through the season, what I was saying is the solutions. One of the things a lot of us are lacking these days is just sunlight. Just getting out there, letting the sun and vitamin D come and hit us. And taking that energy in. It's the biggest energy source in the world. More than ESCOM, more than alternative energy. The sun is it. It's it. And because we now live in our homes that are enclosed and then right after that we go into these office spaces with like heavy aircon and right after that we're in a car going back home we never get to taste the sun this energy source that is so good for our well-being this energy source that is needed by the trees and by other animals we have now been deprived of it when you get out and you bask in the sun and you let the sun kiss you which brings this beautiful melanin we have here. We don't enjoy the sun anymore. And it leaves us pale. 
sickly because we don't have this energy. Then you end up having to buy vitamins, vitamin D supplements. When you can just chill in the sun for like 30 minutes a day. Diet. When you're not mentally okay because something tragic has happened, there you are binging on McDonald's, KFC, eating junk, drinking booze. What are you putting inside your body? Sometimes it's the diet itself that leads to depression because now you're fat and your self-esteem is down. Now you can't breathe properly. Now your body is heavy. The food that you're putting in, you're constantly burping oil. You're constantly getting rashes because you're not eating natural organic food. Again, like our African people used to do, we grew our own food and we ate what we grew from the soil without pesticides, without processing, without GMOs and all these funny things. So change your diet. Once you start feeling not, drink water. Eat vegetables, eat fruit. Try and cut it down on the spices and the extra oils and the, just go natural. Sometimes fast. Fasting. Just getting your body to detox of what it has inside so that you, you're clean and all you're doing is drinking water. Diet. Again, community, being around happy, pleasant people. People get depressed and then their instinct is to isolate and be alone. And I think it was T.D. Jakes who said the biggest fear that man has is being alone. Speaks about Adam, Adam, Adam and Eve, and that God realized that Adam needed a companion because man should not be alone. The worst punishment you can give in prison is solitary confinement, being alone. When they speak about Robert Sobuwe at Robben Island, he was the only prison who, prisoner who had been isolated and he died alone. Man should not be alone. So when you're alone, sleeping in this dark room, crying, no one is cooking for you, no one is taking care of you, you dilapidate, you disintegrate into nothingness. That's when crazy ideas like taking your life and whatever the case may be comes in. Again, like I said, when you're going through these seasons as an African, you are never alone. You are with your people. One of the things I say to guidance today is, I feel like one of the first and most important tricks of capitalism is to isolate you away from your people. What happens when they take you away from your family is that you no longer have a support base. Which means now you need a place to stay and because your people can't house you, you have to get a flat or a commune or some accommodation. Now that you're alone, because your community is not there to cook for you, when you're hungry and you're not cooking, you have to go and buy food. When you're sick in your community, the local person in your family, in your neighborhood, in your community would go and they'd get the herbs and they'd provide this. You can't do that when you're isolated. You need to go to the pharmacies. You have to go to the doctor, to the hospitals. And now when you're miserable, alone, you don't have this community. Instead, you have to go to a paid therapist. You have to take antidepressants. Capitalism needs you to be vulnerable alone away from your people because they know that your people support you. They know that your aunt will help you deliver your baby. You don't need a gynecologist. They know that your father understands herbs. He will give you medicine. 
They know that your mother will help you babysit. They know that your cousin has got knowledge. He'll impart it to you freely without you having to pay for education. So we have to take you away and isolate you so that you can depend on us as the capitalist system so we can milk from you. And it's part of how they broke up our families as African people. Coming here where we were united as communities and as families, telling us you need to pay tax. Daki, you need to pay tax, Daki. What is tax? It's money. We don't have money. Then you must go work. Where? In the mines. So then our men who needed money to pay tax, hard tax, then went to the mines, then went to the farms, then went to the factories. They were isolated away from their families and it was there that they found booze and prostitutes and these funny things. And then the next person they took was the woman because they told the woman as well, your man has abandoned you. You need to get by. Come be a domestic worker. Come work in a factory. And then we were left with our children and our children now go to school where they're constantly programmed and conditioned to chase money. Not only money, but they tell you, you have to be independent. We glorify independence. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm independent. When are you going to be independent? How long will you rely on your family? I've said this before. There is no such thing as independence. It's, it's, it is a wrong term. You are either dependent on your family and your community for things or you're dependent on your employer and the capitalist system for things. There is no such thing as independence being on your own. They tell you that because they want you to go and work for them instead of working for your family. They want you to go and rely on their things rather than on your family. They demonize living at home. They demonize your mom cooking for you. Helping you raise your kids. They demonize you living with your parents. Hey, oh, you live at home with your mama. Oh, you live at home with your mama. Oh, your wife is like, oh, how long is your mom going to live with us? Doesn't she want to get her own place? Let's send it to an old age home. They want to isolate you from your people so that you rely on them. But when you're isolated on your own, you're weak and you're vulnerable. And again, the mind crashes. Because part of the healing when you're not well, is the community. And even when you've moved to another place and you're now meant to be building a new community with other people, they're like, no. When are you getting your own house? Why are you living in a commune with other people? When are you going to get your own car? How long will you be on a bus for? The bus where you get to sit and chill with other people, the taxi where you get to hear stories. Like, no, you must have your own car. Sit alone in the car, in a big car alone and be isolated with your thoughts being solitary confinement that you think has been chosen. There's obviously therapy. And if you speak to a good therapist, they'll explain to you that you can take yourself out and you just need to change some of your behaviors. They'll tell you, go home. Good friend and brother of mine, used to say, going home is like pressing a reset button. Assuming, of course, that home is healthy. Some people have got horrendous homes. I understand. But a home is meant to be where you release and be yourself and your mom can cook you a meal and your dad can laugh with you and be like, hey, Mfana, hey.
part of the discussion with the loss of Ricky Rick today was it may not be external things that have caused his mind to crash. We think it might be fame, it might be money, it might be relationship problems, you know. Some of it might be internal, what we call a chemical imbalance. For chemical imbalances, pharmaceuticals, big pharma, Western medication, prescribes certain medication that balances your mind. And I kind of understand. I kind of understand. But again, if you're eating right, if you're spending time in the sun, if you're spending time in nature, if you are spending time playing with your children, <laughs> if you're spending time with your partner in a healthy way, laughing, watching TV, taking walks, If you are being yourself and not trying to be this model on social media where, oh, you're a big celebrity, you can't do that. No, dog, why are you driving that car? You know, when you no longer are pretending to be someone else and you're more of yourself, there shouldn't be an imbalance. We speak English today, we live a Western way, we live a Eurocentric life. And I sometimes wonder if I'm a product of my forefathers and ancestors that came before me and they exist in my brain and in my body. When I speak English, do they understand what I'm saying? Instead of hunting and slaughtering and raising my kids myself, do they understand why there's a stranger in my house called a babysitter? Do they understand why I'm in a stranger's car in an Uber? Is there a chance that they themselves, through my mind and through my body, are rebelling and saying, no, I don't want this? I don't want to eat this. I don't want to live like this. Stop going to work. Stop being in this environment. I don't like it. Go run. Go be free. Go be naked. Go be one with nature. Go go eat. And go be with your people where the energy is pure and is healthy. Because when you keep living this fake imposter life, your mind might be like, what are you doing? And crash. I don't know if that's what happened with Heath Ledger who killed himself after he shot the Joker, the Joker with the Dark Knight. Sometimes when you're acting and you're pretending to be someone else, Romeo, oh Romeo, wherefore art thou Romeo? Your brain might be like, hey, what, what's happening? Who's Romeo? What are we? When you're constantly acting and you have to act as if you're depressed or you're crazy, your mind might be like, I, 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 think, we, I think we've actually lost it and let's shut down the system. And all of a sudden you're killing yourself because you convinced your mind that this is what it is. Some of the people or some of the content that has helped me build what David Goggins calls calluses around the mind is David Goggins, if you ever get a chance on YouTube, he speaks about just like we gym to make our body stronger, if you lift weights, you build calluses on your hands, these hot, tough skin, scaly skin things. Build calluses around your brain so that when people criticize you, you're fat, you're ugly, you're dark, your family's poor, you're like, I can take it because I've conditioned myself to take it. David Goggins, Dr. Joe Dispenza, who unpacks the conscious, subconscious, and unconscious mind. People like Jordan Peterson, even some of the conversations with Joe Rogan. We need to have these conversations. Men are under pressure. <laughs> Black men are under pressure and our women were take we were taken away from our women, then our women were taken away from us. And then when we got what was called freedom, it came at the same time as woman empowerment, where our women were told that they're equal to us, 
They must be ambitious and not be in the home. Meanwhile, when you look at Indian Muslim women, when you look at Rastafarian women, when you look at Jewish women, when you look at even Afrikaans women, a lot of them still believe in being women. But the black woman, nah, dog, nah. Where are your hands? You must cook for yourself. Now we're fighting. Men have to be rich. Men have to pay low ball when they don't have jobs because the system has made it such that there's no employment, but you depend on them because you feel like without money, I'm nothing. We're fighting with our women and our families have been broken and we're under pressure. Social media pressure and all our celebrities are flossing and buying their women bunches of roses and they bought her a car and like, shit dog, when am I buying a woman, my woman a car when I earn 5,000 rand a month and now your woman feels like you're inadequate and you feel inadequate and some of your friends are getting better jobs and you're like, what the fuck is wrong with me? And you can't speak out. One of the worst things you can ever do as a man is unpack your cart to your woman because women have not been trained to deal with a man who is vulnerable. Their knee-jerk reaction is to laugh at you and to call you names. How? 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 Oh, he's weak. He's, he's gay. Oh, so feminine. I mean, come on. Everyone's going through tough times. What type of a man is he? So then men recoil. And T.D. Jakes calls them cavemen. That women love talking. They're expressive. And it's fine. Men are raised to not be like that. To be strong. And when men become vulnerable and they speak. Because women haven't been trained. They ridicule him. And what happens to the guy after that ridicule is he recoils. And he gets into a cave. And he becomes a caveman. And some men have been in caves in their marriages according to T.D. Jakes, for years. And women don't understand why he never speaks, why he never expresses himself. Why is asking for a divorce? Or why she found him hanging? But he never said anything. We always say communication is important. There was a time when he tried to communicate with you and the way you responded made him recall into a cave. And he's never been able to come out since. And he's not scared of only you. He's scared of any other woman out there that if he were to tell that woman something, she might hurt him. Because women haven't been trained on how to deal with weak, vulnerable, unemployed, broke, indebted, not so good looking, definitely not famous, men who have lost their identity, their place in the world, where women dominate them, where there's feminism, where men are being called trash every day when they've done nothing wrong. So then men crash. Male suicide is way higher than female suicide. Men are killing themselves because they can't see their kids. Men are killing themselves because they don't have jobs and don't have money. Men are killing themselves because of divorce. Men are killing themselves because they have not been properly equipped with the fact that life is hard. And when life gets hard, where are we supposed to go? I think I'll stop there and I'll chat to you guys soon. Rest in peace, rest in power, Ricky Rick. Great gent. Great gent. More men are going to kill themselves and we're still not going to have really, really open and honest conversations about what's going on. The truth is that the lives we're living are wrong from all aspects. Big chunk of it is colonization and apartheid. Big chunk of it today is our politicians and corruption, capitalism, and the fact that we're just not having conversations with each other as men, 
We're not having conversations with our women and saying, guys, how can we make things better? How can we make things better for ourselves so that we can win? I love you guys very much. Take care of your mental health. Constantly move towards winning and positivity. Constantly be around good energy. Stay away from bad energy. Block people. Stay off social media. Leave work. Take a break. Take leave. Go back home. Change your diet. Hit the gym. Just live better. Die when you're supposed to die. Don't die earlier. Pin you all the black pen. Cheers.